The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Welcome to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is RJ Bell. That's right. And it's the All Star Break NBA style edition of the Dream Preview with my Wise Guy Roundtable. To my left, feeling very confident. And we'll tell you why. Brad Powers. To my right, Steve Fezzik, not so confident. I'm RJ Bell. Guys, this is going to be a heck of a show. And I think this is an example how when it's not so game-based that there's so many interesting Vegas-related topics to get to. And as we say on our Straight Out of Vegas radio show, sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans listen to know more than their buddies. Well, you will know more than your buddies listening to the dream preview during the off season. We're going to be talking the all-star break. How do you make money? The Lakers also Westbrook making history. We got some strong opinions on that. The AAF. Yes. If you don't know what that is, I actually probably want to hang out with you more, but (laughs) there's money to be made. And oh my G O M G. There's a best bat in the AAF. Also, we're going to do something new, an auction. We're going to auction off between the three guys around the Wise Guy Roundtable, the teams in the East, a last longer bet. Also, the Denver-Baltimore trade and Brad Powers, all the college knowledge, talking college basketball, the top 16 out, plus Darren Ravel, Showtime, and hmm, how do we say this? The bastardization of sports betting? Is that the right word? <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Showtime! Woo! At All-Star time, this is, it's always funny. I can remember when I was uh, literally just grinding on the screen, which I luckily don't do anymore. Festo does, but that's why he's Fez. When I was grinding on the screen, Friday of the All-Star break was like the day to do something because it's like there was hardly any college games and it was like, okay, I can, you know, literally like not even maybe work that day because what, there's that and the All-Star break for baseball is about it. Yep. Right. And I, I really knew I was sick. I mean, like demented sick. <laughs> when I was probably like 22, I just graduated college the year before. And it was that Friday. And and at the time they didn't, you know, college has gotten smart enough to put some more college games on that Friday, but this was like Ivy league only. This was like 92, 93. And I still ended up like doing like a three hour handicap on like six Ivy league games. <laughs> And I'm like, something, something is wrong. I, I kind of, now I embraced it and wrote it to here, but I, I, I came to terms that something was wrong. I still love the life. Even when it was sick and wrong. All right, Fez, 
I think there's a way potentially, and Brad, you've done some work on this too, to make some money with this all-star game. Now, if we look at the prior years, prior to last year, because last year there was a fundamental change in the way the all-star teams were picked. Prior to that, Brad, we've got some numbers on the scoring. Well, yeah, prior to that, it was just your basic East versus West, and there was a lot of scoring. Defense was not only optional, it was non-existent. Previous four years, the All-Star game averaged 345 and a half points per game. So total points scored. These yep. this isn't the over under total. This yep. is actual points, three forty five. Last year, now the theory being what about now that it's not just East versus West? What would fundamentally change? So last year you had an actual draft. It was Team LeBron versus Team Steph, and a little bit more competitive between the twos. Uh, not only the rosters, but the competitive. Hey, I mean LeBron, you know, wants to, you know the, to beat. Team Steph a little bit, probably more than East versus West. More competitive, more defense, a total score of 293 points. 50 points lower than what was scored on average the previous four years. These are alphas, yep. the ego, when it's East-West. Eh. Now, Fez, you've got a theory that if it's East-West, if it's NFL, however they do it, and it's changed with the Pro Bowl, that if one of the sides gets beat in an embarrassing fashion even for a single year, like 40 to 10, or if they get beat multiple years in a row, sometimes it's like, come on guys. And then there's a motivational edge. So in a weird way, by picking the teams, it feels like you're getting that phenomenon just every year. Yep. Is that how you see it, Fez? Exactly right. And frankly, I'm disappointed they did away with the old format because whenever a league had a streak, the East or the West winning two or more times in a row, then I would look to play against that league and that conference. And now I can no longer do that. Now, luckily we've got a guy here that many, many times was picked last on the playground. So Fez, when you were picked last on the playground, <laughs> how did you respond? Cause there's two ways. I mean, I don't know this, but I'm guessing one would be, Oh my, they don't think I'm any good. Maybe they're right. Maybe that thing my mom said a long time ago was true too. She probably forgot about it, but I remember. And then it, you went and shout. Or like the movie Lucas, you said, wait a minute. I'm going to prove that you guys are wrong. I'm going to step up Hulk, you know, Hulk style, start waving the finger and go wild. <laughs> How did it? How did you respond? Well, what actually happened is I didn't even get picked, RJ, because <laughs> there would be like sixteen of us, and I would never. You get, were always rooting for an even number. I would never get picked in the top ten, so I would be left with the five other chess club members to play a three on three on the side basket, and then oh, I took. How it much as, would you pay for tape of that? I took oh. it as a personal affront, and I buried the other chess players at chess. No, at basketball. Oh, so oh. what you're what you're saying is you were the best basketball player amongst the chess players. Yeah, it was like going to the <laughs> NIT and using it, putting an enormous chip on my shoulder for not getting to go to the dance. I've been hanging and banging for years. I mean, <laughs> he's Fez has been fighting it out. So we've got Sleepy Jay did some excellent work here, did a little research for us. The total open last year. So 
multiple year average entering last season, all-star game, 345. Total open 340. Once again, the bookies not really thinking it through, being robotic. And again, maybe that's fine for a business model, meaning they'd rather, and this is a basic premise we often discuss, they don't want to guess the bookies. Oh, is this going to matter more? In a way, if they could do that, they wouldn't be bookies. Mm. They'd be betters. So as Socrates said, Plato writing it, a man who knows what he doesn't know knows a lot. So maybe we give the bookies credit. They're going to open up the numbers with their algo, with the basic computation, and let the batters tell them if they're wrong. But the batter said under, under, under. So that 340 last year, again, the theory being increased motivation defense, gets bet down to 333, seven points down. And Brad, total points? 293, still covers by 40. By 40. He does that just boom, right in his mind. You see that? Boom. <laughs> 40. So, numbers not out, tape in here Wednesday at the pregame.com offices. Uh, Fez, not that this is a best bet, maybe go around the horn. Personally, I look to play anything under 300, even if it drops like 30-some points. And I'll tell you why, but my buy, and, and again, I'm not saying some big bet. I'm, it's a pizza bet maybe for me. But at 300, I go under. What do you think? I think 300 is a good buy price to go under. I agree, RJ. So where um, would you start? Would you go under 290? No, 300 was going to be my number. That, that was right there. Yeah, 290 is way too You're low like Brad. Like just somehow it was magically the same thing. <laughs> because 290, we went we went over with last year's number. So I hear what you're saying. Throw the rest of the data into the garbage can, essentially. We really only have one data point, one recent data point, and it's 290. You know, that would be fascinating. And if anyone wants to do this out there and you truly reply to my Twitter at RJ in Vegas with some details, we'll talk about it on the straight out of Vegas radio show, but I guess it'd have to be by Friday. So you'd have to hustle is we watched last year's all-star game and chart it and really assess. Did they make the number like, Considering the shots that they had, like if there was a computer program that said, okay, there was whatever number of shots taken, considering each of these shots, this is the projected expected points from this shot. So if Steph Curry has a wide open three, you know, whatever the math would be, 50%, you know, one and a half points is projected. And did they, because I think the intensity level should be similar. The question is, did they shoot well or not mm. in the game? I don't remember. I don't either. That might be some hay to make there. So if someone out there amongst our hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of listeners wants to do that work, we will give you credit retroactively next week on the pod, but also live 200 stations on straight out of Vegas. Brad, what would your buy price be? You know, I was thinking more on the side th that I would find some more value. Interesting. I so on your podcast with AJ, yep. you can talk about the side. Mm, that's good. I'm asking about the total. <laughs> 300 sounds like a good Oh, answer. again, Fez, yeah. one in a million. Yeah. You no, know, I, might, I might actually need 305 to go under. 
just because that 293 looks so much lower than what the closing number was last year. Maybe they didn't. Well, you you are like well. on your knees of the market, aren't you? I mean, I respect the marketplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, Brad, I'll <laughs> let you go into a new topic. What are you thinking on the side? Well, I'm thinking LeBron's team. LeBron should be a considerable favorite over team Giannis. LeBron's roster, Fez, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, Anthony Davis, Clay Thompson, Greek Freak, Giannis' team, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Paul George, Kemba Walker. Isn't it funny how he's saying the names differently? <laughs> it's like it's like some would say Paul George is the best two-way player in the NBA right now. Yeah, that's but he, true. But he says, Paul George. I mean, go ahead. That was it. Yeah, I was pretty much done. All right. So I think you might be right, but for the wrong reason. Okay. I'm not so sure how much better. is. This is all about motivation. These are the best players in the NBA. You could literally take one. uh, How many players are on each team? A 10 on each. You could take one through 10 and give the other team 11 through 20. It's not that different. Yeah. Right, because we don't have Michael Jordan anymore, and LeBron isn't that. I mean, literally, think about it. You could make the case for a lot of players to be the best player right now, right? And LeBron would be in the conversation, but so would a lot of these other players, and certainly so would the Greek Freak. I think it's about who's going to try. Now, let me ask you this question: When, in the last ten years? Has LeBron James's stock, public perception, mm. been lower than it is right now? Meaning, since he left Cleveland the first time, maybe that hasn't quite been mm. ten years. It's been a long time. If you would say, take a snap poll, thousand NBA fans, thumbs up, thumbs down on LeBron, probably more thumbs down today than there's been in. All that time. Yeah, the only example I can think of is that first year with the Heat when they came up short against the Dallas Mavericks. Still, though, he was the best. You're right. Yeah. He got a lot of heat. Yeah. Clearly the best player in the NBA. The question was, could he get him over the top? Yeah. Agree, agree, agree. Now it's like, are they going to make the playoffs? Mm-hmm. Is he a, the problem? They never thought he was the problem when they lost the Mavs. It was, boy, we thought he had enough. Maybe he's not quite the Superman we thought he was. And even if that is the case, that's been what now? How many years? Eight years ago? Yeah, eight what years. I, so my feeling is, and, and and what's the talk radio chatter? It's, well, we thought everyone wanted to play with LeBron, but now Paul George said no. And now Davis, you know, it just feels like LeBron, want, this is the time to make a statement. Mm. And if so, if the leader of the team is rallying the troops, I think it leads to one looking to play LeBron's team if it's not a crazy line on the side, but also more towards the under. Because if the other team sees how hard LeBron's team's playing, they're going to step it up. Reciprocation. It's like a pickup game where how hard is someone going? I like that. So, again, interesting conversation. I like the under. I'll be interested, very interested to see what the number comes out. One derivative bet, if I may. Yes. Uh, This falls into your wheelhouse in terms of motivation, RJ. Now, a normal NBA game, there's totals, and there is in the All-Star game. There will be. They'll put a total on each quarter. 
And typically, each quarter will be about one-fourth of the game total. But turns out in an all-star game, that doesn't work very well. Because think about it. Even when there's more competitiveness, it's still very loosey-goosey, your friends out there. But then when we hit that fourth quarter, things tend to tighten up. And that's the time where the most defense is played just even though it's a game without much defense, fourth quarter under makes the most sense. Now, when can you get at that? You can play it, I would expect, before the game starts. I would expect there'd be quarters on all. What do you mean expect? Oh, I, have you done this before? I have done it before. Some and did books you bet it before the it, game? Yeah, some books so the answer should be that some books have and some books Some don't. books have it and some don't. And then, of course, you could bet it live when the fourth quarter, right before the fourth quarter starts as well. Yeah, so that makes a ton of sense. So this is back to the robotics Whereas the, where the books are going to just do their simple math on the fourth quarter total. But your point is, hey, this is when it's money time. This is when the game's going to be decided. Yes. That's a very good point, actually. And I don't have the exact numbers, but I can tell you historically the fourth quarter is easily the lowest scoring quarter in all-star games. Yeah, well, you would have had to do the research on to get the numbers. <laughs> right? I had done it in prior years. <laughs> <laughs> do not have it with me. Topic two, the Lakers. Now, let me tell you guys, Brad and Fez have been battling, but probably more importantly, Brad has, uh, I don't know if the right word is whiplash. I don't know if the right word is roller coaster. I think you're all in the head. We're 10 hours from the fun park and you want to bail out. But Brad it, it, it schizophrenic. Listen, we don't want to make light of mental illness. Why don't you tell us the story of the ever? You know how they have like kind of like the Hollywood story of like Motley Crue, you know, but then they tried this little white powder back in a minute, you know, that kind of thing <laughs> is yeah. why don't you let us behind the music? Yeah. yeah. Give us the ebbs and flows in the last couple days of your position on the Lakers. So the Lakers have that, all that trade drama going around, all the rumors. We saw it really impact the younger core of the Lakers. They get absolutely crushed in a good spot against the Pacers, at least perceived in that game. So after that, I'm like, you know what? Lakers are done. Put a fork in them. I want to bet against this Lakers team every single game of the regular season. And what happens is... And you said that in front of 200 stations, Coast yeah, to Coast. Yeah, I did. I'm straight out of Sirius, it. XM, iHeartRadio app. So, some people hurt. So, uh, that was my position after that game. <laughs> one game one game later, what happens? Oh, the Lakers get a last-second shot. They beat the Celtics outright. They come together. They're hugging each other. Season saved. My opinion, on straight out of Vegas in front of 200-plus stations, Coast to Coast. I said, hey, I don't want to play against this Lakers team. And they look pretty motivated. Reevaluation. Yeah, let's not play against this Lakers team. Then what happens? Just a couple days later, one game later, the Lakers get crushed by what? In front of national TV, 20, 30 points against the 76ers? 23 points. And then one game later after that, the Lakers, as a favorite in a game they're playing against a team that's tanking in the Hawks, Lakers lose outright. So I'm right back to where I was to begin with. Hey, the Lakers, the rest of the season. So if somehow, some way, someone skipped a couple shows, it'd be like, Brad's been on it the yeah. whole time. Fez, <laughs> you actually were pretty consistent. Yeah, Laker youth feels they're expendable. They, a few weeks ago, they thought their 
part of the Laker future plans. And then they found out they got the memo. They're not important. Kuzma, Ingram, Ball. Hey, we'll trade all you guys to get somebody good in Anthony Davis. And what has happened? I would argue defensive intensity is shot for this team. At Indiana, they give up 57% shooting. Worst defensive performance of the year for the Lakers. Two games later, at Philly, they give up 57% again. Another horrific defensive performance. Remember, it takes effort to play defense. And then they play the Atlanta Hawks. As you said, Brad, a team that's tanking. And Atlanta puts up 70 points almost on them in the first half. I want no part of these Lakers going forward. Now, when you would dominate the chess players at basketball, was it more defense? Was it your intent or was it your shooting? It was actually offense. It was, he was, you were all, you were like Dominique. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was just now when a you were, when you were by yourself playing and no one else was playing with you, who would you be going? Like when you would shoot a jumper, it'd be like, Dr. J does it again. Like what in your mind, who were you? John Paxson. <laughs> hey, at least he's yeah. being honest. University right? of, University can't of jump. Can't, yeah. Slow. <laughs> and I would drop my shoulder into the guy guarding me and like, Get incident, go ahead and get the incidental contact and push him away from me and then make the layup so he couldn't block me. The, the other chess club members. Yeah. <laughs> now, at any point, did like some kids from the real game look down and go, boy, see that chess club kid? Maybe he should play with us. I don't think they knew I was alive. <laughs> they were now, doing their thing. Were, were you hoping to get their attention? Like in between games when they were towing off and drinking water did you try to go and shoot real quick down there like Paxson to say look at me look at me no <laughs> I mean we could do a whole yeah. pod on this wow <laughs> I will say this you do have a real feel for the millennial mindset for someone in his mid-50s Fez it's like the snowflakey millennial mindset that some have not all but some it feels like you're right in touch with it like magic, like you're, it's like magic is almost like Nicholson remembering the departed when he was trying to figure out who the, uh, the rat, the rat was, yeah. that's the right way. Yeah. The rat, he said, you know, time was I'd kill everybody, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and that's how magic is. Magic is like, doesn't matter. I'm going to trade whoever I need to trade, but I kind of relate to magic in a way with this, but you seem to really relate with the millennials. Surprising, isn't it? No, not really. Because I think in a way your upbringing made you extra sensitive to like microaggressions and such. Could could well be. I can tell you. <laughs> nah, I won't tell that story. <laughs> oh, my God. Imagine that story. Put that in your back pocket for the drunk show. May I remind you, in this archdiocese, God don't run the bingo. All right. So next week we'll be picking up on the Lakers. Timing will be great. Uh, they'll start be playing again late next week. Do we fade? Do we be neutral, et cetera? Though right now it looks like fading. Next up, we've got history being made, but people feel ambivalent about it. Westbrook, 10 straight games with a triple, double. Harden entering tonight's action, taping on Wednesday, 30 straight games with 30 plus points. A lot of debate on talk radio about this. I think that the answer is pretty clear. One, let's acknowledge the fact of how difficult this is. I mean, we could talk about, oh, pace of the game, possessions per game. But we did some 
research. Possessions have gone up like 5% in the last, you know, recent years. Uh, not, not in a way that you could say, well, if someone had nine and a half, nine and a half, nine and a half assists, rebounds, and points, then it's really the same as a triple-double now, except no one did that. And also, the pregame.com research department, Mackie led the way with this one, did some really interesting work on how does OKC do when Westbrook has a triple-double. And the numbers are really eye-popping. So this goes back to 2016. When Westbrook has a triple-double, OKC has won 76% of their game straight up. 71 winners, 22 losers, 76% with a triple-double. Against the spread, 68%. Wow. 68% at 63 winners, 30 losers against the spread. Westbrook has a triple-double. When he doesn't have a triple-double, straight up, 45% winners. So 76% yes, 45% no. Against the spread, 36% without a triple-double. Wow. So 67%, if he has a triple-double against the spread, Westbrook, 36% against the spread, if not. Now, you might say, wait a minute. That means triple-doubles are good. So all the 50-somethings on the radio talking about how bad it is and all the player-specific stuff, you know, too much emphasis on me, me, me. Are they wrong? I don't think so. I think that we need to define what a triple-double represents. When a triple-double represents Westbrook being engaged and performing at a high level, it only makes sense that that means the team that he's led during these three years. Now, Paul George now has really stepped up, and there's 1A, 1B, and a lot of people like Paul George more right now. But over the three-year horizon we're looking at, which, remember, is the year... Westbrook first averaged a triple-double, won the MVP. He averaged a triple-double last year, but somehow it wasn't all that impressive. Wasn't even in the MVP conversation. And now he's having this streak, right? So that's the three years we're talking. When he's engaged, they're good. When he's not performing, engaged, they're not good, OKC. But where the problem is, is when the team is using its bandwidth mentally, emotionally, just its basic time on the sidelines. There was a recent game, Brad, where I think is just the prototypical example of where it could be problematic. Yeah, in a timeout, Russell Westbrook goes up to Paul George and says, hey, I'm going to try to get you the ball here. I'm one assist short of getting a triple-double. And Paul George's response, yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. But uh, that, that goes to show you that maybe Russell at that particular time was thinking more stats than winning, although it should be caveated at that time, OKC was already up in the game. But it's still the fact that it's being discussed. What would Belichick do using that concept? No, we should be talking about, hey, maybe let's go run a play that we're never going to run again and then when they do film, you know, when they do film on us, they're going to think, oh, look, they might do this. We'll never do it again. 
because we're up so big, we can show it to him right now. Like, that's what Belichick is thinking. And it's almost the opposite here where Westbrook's like, you know what? We're going to run our best pick and roll here because I need this assist. Yeah, in a way. Yes. So to me, I think you can hold two positions in your mind at once. We're seeing something that Westbrook is doing in Harden the same that is maybe the only two people. I don't know about that. Maybe with Westbrook, has there been anyone since the big O that could have done this? I don't even know. So in a weird way, I think it hurts the team. The last 5% of mental and physical focus on this, but the other 95% is you've got one of the great players in the NBA playing really hard. So in a weird way, does he play as hard every night if he didn't have Mm. This streak. And now where how does that balance with the fact that it is a distraction? And long term, do you want these guys playing really hard well, in 82 games? Yeah, in a schedule? way, Westbrook's done that. Now here's the thing, Westbrook's getting older, but what as we all are, but Westbrook is the guy that Bill Simmons always says is like a superman. You know, he'll fall from 10 feet and stand up and what you know, he's one of those dudes where he never seems to get tired. Now Michael Jordan used to play till golf and poker and whatever until 530 in the morning and still be great. And then one day he didn't anymore. Right. So is Westbrook aging faster court age because of this? Probably. So I think it's too easy to say, oh, this is a a huge problem for OKC. The numbers tell us the triple doubles are good for them. And I think it's too easy to say, oh, this is great, because I do think there's a reason that this could be a little hint at why Westbrook has zero mm. titles. And since Durant left, what's the furthest that they've gotten? Have they got I know they haven't made the conference finals without Durant, right? Have they even won in the first round? They I, I don't recall. Mac, you maybe look that up and jump in. Okay. Last thing. Maybe. Just maybe. And and listen, this is a take that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Here's a theory uh, for you to disregard (laughs) completely. uh... What are the rules of the game that's being played right now? We know the rules of who wins the game, who has more points. We know the rules of who wins the titles. But what is the game these players are playing Because if the game is winning, like we all assume it is, then you could make the case, oh, look, Westbrook is spending some bandwidth, some energy on something that doesn't directly lead to winning. But how have these players been raised? They've been raised on stats in AAU, in high school, which leads to what? College scholarships. And then, uh oh, national notoriety. And that leads to more stats, which is Twitter followers, Instagram followers. And that leads to more stats, which is cash. So think about it points to followers to cash. Is that the path in the NBA? Or is the path points to wins to cash? Because let's agree, it's a business. And some people uh, are so dedicated to winning, a Tim Duncan or whatever, a Brady, you could say, 
it's though you could debate, well, he doesn't need the money because of his wife, whatever. But some people you could tell winning means even more. But I won't begrudge any player that there's a financial element. It's not just should you be wealthy. It's generational wealth. And if you're from a place where literally your kids, like if you didn't make it, I mean, think about it. The idea that there's certain NBA players, if they would have blown a knee when they were 12, the odds are very good that their kids would have really struggled to have a, the American dream. You know, even a middle class could happen. But if they don't blow their knee and they make it, in theory, their grandkids, their great grandkids could have the American dream. So the stakes are high and rightfully so they care about the money. But let's accept that and ask ourselves, what is the path to the money? And if you actually look at the numbers, and this is something else we did some research on, and you say, well, who's the two highest paid players today? It's Steph Curry and Westbrook. Curry's got a lot of titles. Westbrook has no titles. He's got a lot of numbers. And those numbers are digits after the dollar sign, too but no titles, 30 plus million each they make. Now we did the math, Larry Bird, Magic. Those are the guys that are supposed to be willing. Back in the day, they were willing to like crawl over cut glass to win. Magic died, you know, Bird's up by 30 in Atlanta and he's still diving into the state, you know, the stands kind of thing. Now, if you looked at the adjusted amount of money they were making in 1985, which was probably the prime magic bird five, six years into their careers, saving the NBA. It was in the four to $5 million range. Now think about this a second. We would put bird and magic up as the platonic ideal in the pantheon of imagine that the feds, if your kid we're back to the chess club in this case, right? Oh. But imagine if your kid were an athlete somehow. That'd be interesting. If Fez had married like uh, Jackie Joyner Kersey, like the best <laughs> athlete ever, like what would the battle have been? It could have been like a great athlete and a brilliant <laughs> kid, or who knows what would have happened. Like how great of an athlete would the woman have had to be to get Fez an athletic kid? Yeah. I mean, I, just pond. I think the bar is pretty much Jackie Joyner. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> All right, but let's. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Take solace in the bench press. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, your, your bench pressing is like, have you ever read or saw the book, The Red Dragon? No. So, you know, it's a Hannibal Lecter story. But what it's about is, is that there's this dude who is so much a social outcast that he just lives in his house and he hates and he's he's kind of disfigured. In fact, you're a fine looking fellow, but he's disfigured and he just sits and lifts weights all day, just waiting uh -huh. for someone to mess with him because he figures he wants to have some agency. He wants to take control of the life because life is it's, it, the way people respond to him so out of his control. I'm not saying that's you. Just kind of saying the comment. Maybe there's a little red dragon in me because I remember. <laughs> I remember he, in college. He's a murderer. So I, that's yeah, not. <laughs> so I, I, when I went to college, I started lifting weights and, and getting the power lifting. Oh my! Did you actually 
um, mail for the Charles Atlas in the back of like the, the wrestling magazines, the pro wrestling illustrated. No, but I remember the first time I never could dunk a basketball, but RJ, I'm six foot. Never could dunk a basketball. You, could you dunk on an eight foot who? I, I dunked. I mean, he's saying like I could never dunk a basketball I, like he's telling us something. I dunked a volleyball. I could dunk a volleyball after from squatting. What? Yes, sir. If you want to be able to dunk, you get you get into the gym and you squat and you'd be shocked what your um, ability to jump will, will it'll just go up dramatically. Say that just just gather your thoughts because this is listen. It's very rare that Fez is going to give the kids uh, an athletic life lesson. So take a breath, gather your thoughts, and say that succinctly. Most people think a vertical leap is just what you're God given. However, if you go to the gym and you work on your squats, you will increase your vertical leaping ability dramatically. Okay, guys, we got it. It's on tape now. <laughs> Write that down in red ink. That will be one of our most... <laughs> I mean, he said it so sincerely, like he thought I was serious and I wanted him to help the kids. That is going to be so great. I was taking detailed notes, Fez. Uh, squat to jump. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, let's make sure we're sleeping. We got that sound. All right. Now. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I, I tell you this. If we could go back in time, I would make a major bet. You can't dunk a volleyball. I hear you. I, I know you're saying, what would you do, Brad? Oh, I'd, I'd double up on the, you know, <laughs> whenever I bet on the bench press, double it that you couldn't. <laughs> All right. So. Fact is, to wrap this all up, Larry Bird and Magic are the ideal. For me, I think about the way they cared about winning and how hard they played in the fundamental basketball. But what's happened since is we've gotten way away from that. And you might say, oh, let's lament that. That's a bad thing. Except, remember, these are adjusted for inflation. So the buy literally... Westbrook has seven times the buying power. He's seven times wealthier than Magic Johnson was at the time in, in you know as a basketball player and Larry Bird. So what's happening is in a Darwinian sense the marketplace is speaking and when they saw Magic and Larry they said okay we're willing to pay this much for this kind of game. And now the marketplace is willing to pay effectively seven times as much, which is pretty much saying it's seven times as popular. Now we can debate that all oh, there's different ancillary revenue streams. Hey, those could have been there. They could have had more merchandise back in the day and all they could have been in China. They could, but they weren't because the league wasn't popular enough. With Westbrook leading the way now, one of the leaders of the league, with Harden leading the way, it's seven times, at least for the players, is what they care about, more lucrative. Thoughts? Well, I think the fans are embracing all this. You see. Exactly. So how can we blame Westbrook for doing what he's doing. Exactly. And you see Harden, he's playing Dallas. The team's up 12. How do you win when there's three minutes to play and you're up 12? Well, the last thing you do is chuck up horrible three-point shots, which you're unlikely to make. But 
Harden needed him to get to 30 points, and he just kept putting them up, and the crowd was with them, happy that he was doing so. So what if their chance of winning the game dropped from 99% to 98%? It was all about Harden. Yeah, and we've seen the lead story on SportsCenter in this Harden streak. Even though the Rockets have been struggling, was the streak itself the points? Oh, he keeps scoring, keeps scoring, even though the fact his team, Harden's team, the Rockets were continuing to lose during that stretch. So, Mackie, what was uh, Westbrook's furthest advancement they've got knocked out in the first round the past two years without durant that's it money i'm about making money that's the dream y'all that's the american dream next topic oh this should be fun the nba east just a couple days ago milwaukee toronto boston philadelphia at the westgate had identical odds to win the East. Four teams, identical odds. There's been a little bit of adjustment. We're going to play a game. Here's the game. It's going to be an auction type game, which is Fez, me, and Brad are going to take one of the three teams or four teams. All right? One team's going to be out and it's going to be a last longer. So whoever doesn't matter, if they win the title, don't win. It's whichever team lasts longer wins the bet, and the other two pays them. But we're going to do it like an auction. We're to get the first pick. We're going to say, okay, Fez, are you willing to pay plus one or lay minus one ten to have the first pick? He says yes, maybe. Brad says yes. I say no, maybe. I don't know. So now it's one fifteen. Finally, one of them is going to say nope. And that means the other person gets to pick. But now he's making two bets against me and Brad in that hypothetical, laying the extra amount. Then the two people remaining will say, well, what's the second pick worth? Minus 110, minus 120. And then that's a bet between those two. So really, you're paying, you're laying more. This is almost like win leagues or something, right? Where I've never done that before. Has anyone done that? Where you get to pick teams and it costs money. So it's almost like a DraftKings kind of, you got, it's like to get the better player, you got to pay more. In this case, so there's not a finite amount of money. It's rather if you lose, you're really going to lose big. So does everyone understand the concept? Yes. Yes. And I think for the listeners, it's going to be clear as we progress. This should take like four or five minutes. It'll be interesting. I got 75. What do you need? 80. 75. I'm going to go 80. 80. 80. 80. Last call. All right. First pick. Let's start at minus 110. Fez, are you willing to lay one 110 in order to have the first pick? I am. Brad? I am not. Brad, you do not want to lay 110 even for the first pick. No. Hmm. Okay. I'm willing to lay 110. All right, Fez, you willing to lay 115? Yes. Fez says 115. He really likes somebody. <laughs> That's, I could tell by yeah. his face. <laughs> you know something, though? Fez is, uh, you know, I'm going to let you have the first pick at minus 115. All right, so now, Fez, you get the first pick, Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, Philly, and what you've got at that point is a bet. If they win, you get your 100 from both of us. And what are we betting here? It's got to be real. We'll bet 300. Okay. All right? 300 is the base unit. 
Okay. So in this case, it would be what? 345, I guess, if you lose. 300 if you win. Who are you taking? Fear the deer, guys. I get Milwaukee. Ooh. Ooh. Surprising. All right. Milwaukee. Now, Brad, you and I have to go for the second pick. So Fez is at minus 115 on Milwaukee against me and against Brad. Now, and remember, there's only one winner. So if one team gets knocked out in the first round, they're, they're separate bets, but there's just one winner settles up with both of the losers. Brad, are you willing to lay minus 110 for the second pick? I am. Hmm. So he's got it. And he seemed confident. That's fascinating. So you were so sure you didn't care that Fez got the first pick. I know you're scared of me, but, <laughs> but it's interesting is who do you have? Oh, you know something? I think I've got this figured out because you know what I think of, the team I think you might take, you know, I don't like this team. So you wouldn't, uh-huh, uh-huh. Me too. Yes, I'm willing to lay it. Are you willing to lay 115? I will lay 115. So will I. Are you willing to lay 120? I will lay 120. <laughs> oh, 120, he says. 120. Wow. 120. I'm laying 120. 125? 125. See, I actually wanted to give up. You only did that because you knew he was going to go 125. It's like a poker game. Exactly. All right, you can have it for 125. (laughs) Now, now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to write down who I hope, who I want. All right. Now, hold on. Hold on. Close your eyes, Brad. All right, Fez, you know who I want. Don't say anything. All right, Brad, who you got? Boston. You bought high. Ah. All right. <laughs> what did I write down, Fez? Toronto. All right. Bleak. So I got my, man, I'm good at this. I got my team and I'm plus money against both of you. Fez, how you feeling? I feel good. I feel good. <laughs> Wait, isn't that the whole point of a bet, right? I feel bad for Brad. All right. So just, <laughs> I got the best coach in the deepest roster. <laughs> now. So here, see, I thought you heard how pessimistic I was about Boston. And remember when Fez and I were going back and forth on the radio? I thought that's why you might have wanted Toronto. No. Now, Van Vliet's out. He'll be back. for (laughs) All right. So let's be clear then. So, Fez, you laid 110, right? Or what? 150. 150. Oh, geez. All right. So if, if so, so let's be clear. If amongst these three teams, Milwaukee lasts the longest, I owe you 300. Brad owes you 300. If Toronto lasts the longest, you owe me one. Uh, well, it'd be uh, what? 345. Yes. And you went to what? 375. <laughs> and if I lose, whoever I pay, I only pay the three. Cause I'm always, I like to get the, the VIG. It's almost like Maddie Holt. Maddie would be proud. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's break it down. Fez, make your case because I think this is fascinating why you like Milwaukee. You know, just in the last week, I think Milwaukee, there's nothing negative to say. They acquire Miritic. He's a guy that nobody really pays much attention to. He's a 6'10 stretch guy that can bomb from three. And Milwaukee, 
in terms of the regular season, this has been a juggernaut. Their points per game differential is plus 10. All these other teams are only like plus five and a half or worse. So Milwaukee's been the clear-cut best team in the regular season. And RJ, I think they're going to get the number one seed because now that Toronto doesn't have Van Vliet and now that, <laughs> and, and Leonard has a little bit of an issue with his knee, he'll be fine. I think Milwaukee getting the number one seed has an easier path. Boston, the chemistry issues with Kyrie Irving are certainly a concern. And frankly, Philly, one and seven against the other elite teams in the East. I worry about Philly not being able to play in big games. Here's my concern about Milwaukee. There's always been the belief that it's like the old Bum Phillips line. First, we knocked on the door, then we banged on the door, and then you kick it in. Even Michael Jordan, how long did it take him to beat Detroit? How does Milwaukee go from not even a consideration to win it last year to the best team in the East? Yeah, it's a great concern because they they went out in the first round against Boston in seven games last year. What has suddenly made this team playoff um, experience-wise able to withstand the rigors? And what I'm hoping for is an easier playoff path where they get to pound a number eight seed and get confidence as the playoffs mm-hmm. progress. Mm-hmm. And I also would make the following case – and and uh, we should have done this work, and I'll do it for next week. I think Milwaukee's one of those teams that plays exceptionally well as a bigger favorite. They're the, they're young, they're spry, they're looking for margin, but when it's a competitive game, not as good. So if you kind of profile their opponents. Milwaukee, that's my impression. Is is that yours? Yeah, it's accurate. They actually don't have much data. They so when you very- look, so when you're looking at the 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 uh, <laughs> Pythagorean theorem, <laughs> it's it's a you know it's something where if we were talking about playing a ten thousand game regular season, who's going to have the best record in some simulation? Maybe you're right, but in the the playoffs, the area they're best at, you're never going to be necessarily a really big favor. Yes. And also I am concerned that the data is very small for Milwaukee in close games. They played a dearth of close games throughout the regular season, and that might bite them if they have to play a lot of close games. Whereas, you know, the Boston's and the Phillies are having all these, you know, could go either way games down the stretch that helps you come playoff time. And when you say dearth, meaning a lack of yes. Fez with the vocab yeah. stepping up. Okay. Interesting case. Some honesty out of Fez. Brad, make your case for laying the lumber. Yeah, for laying the lumber. Well, first off, I, I it should be noted that I'm a massive underdog when it comes to the NBA. If you thought I was an underdog come NFL, NBA is a whole different story. But my theory with Boston is... I think it's, you know, inarguable that I have the best head coach in Brad Stevens. And I also think I have the deepest team, the deepest roster. And Fez mentioned a bunch of stats in favor of the Milwaukee Bucks on how, you know, the points per game differentials this during the regular season. If you listen to Steve Fezzik last year at this time, he was making those same data points exactly about the Toronto Raptors and what happened come playoff time. Those points per game differentials really didn't mean much because the Cleveland Cavaliers had a second gear that Toronto didn't. I think the Boston Celtics have a higher gear than any of these teams. So that's why I felt comfortable taking the Celtics. Now, my complaint with the Celtics, or not complaint, my uh, dislike of them in this spot is more about the depth of the regular season. The depth on the bench and rotation means so much more in the regular season. Mm. Really, ultimately, you can't be too thin, though you can make the case how 
deep were the Warriors last year, though obviously an extreme case of an amazing starting five. But to me, if you're just deep enough, you'd rather have a better one. You know, if you have seven deep and then God came and said, you've got a choice, we can go nine deep or you can stay seven deep, but your number one and two player, we're going to make 10% better. Mm. I'd rather be seven deep with a better one and two. Now, if you're five deep, it, it probably doesn't matter how good your one and two is within reason. So there's that equilibrium. It feels like Boston's so deep, but who gets the ball late? Is it Kyrie? I think it's Kyrie. Okay. And my point is that doesn't excite me all that much. Right. And again, especially with him, I, I could be in New York. It just feels like, and I'm hearing now, even with the good coach, some real locker room dissension. Faz, you're hearing about that, right? Oh, absolutely. For and Boston? Looks, yeah, and it looks like Irving is, you know, very, very likely to be exiting at the end of the year. That's never good for a team. You think very, very likely? I think like over 75%. Wow. Really? That's what I'm hearing. Who do you hear from? From the uh, from the radio airwaves. <laughs> Every time I turn on the radio, I hear that Ir- Irving doesn't want to is unlikely to come back. The very fact you're talking about it, I think, is is not a good thing, right? So, um, to me, hmm, yeah, I think both of you guys have teams better suited for the regular season, and and, and since I'm plus money. I'm feeling pretty good. And I also think Toronto is just not basketball sexy. And my default is I want teams that aren't basketball sexy because no one wants them. Right. And if you just look at the season, I mean, that's an interesting question. Fez is who's played better this year. I mean, Toronto, you could make the case in, and maybe the caveat would have to be in competitive games. Yeah, Toronto is right there with Milwaukee. Their win-loss record's only one game apart, and Toronto's just done much better in the closer games. And if anything, Toronto is a team that had to integrate Kawhi Leonard, which the theory is Kawhi's got a lot to prove. You know, it feels like this might be the most uh, least dysfunctional team. No doubt. Now, I think the real key there is Kyle Lowry has disappeared for years, their guard in the playoffs. Can he finally play like he's played during the regular season in a playoff? And remember, and then we'll talk quickly about the Sixers, remember that the playoffs are a very different handicapping animal than the regular season. And obviously there's a lot of regular season left. And there's a lot, if it's depth of rotation, if it's the ebbs and flows of motivation, always, I would say more than any other sport, and I don't handicap hockey, so set that aside, more than any other sport, the difference between NBA playoff handicapping and regular season is the biggest difference. Would you agree? Absolutely. Okay, last thing. Philadelphia, maybe the second best starting five in the NBA. You also could make the case this is a team that isn't going to play as well the rest of the regular season because they're getting used to the new pieces. Mm. But come, let's say, a conference final, if they start coming together, isn't this the best team? What kept you off them, Fez? Because of the best collection of players, but I can't get past the fact that that Boston series last year, remember Philly won 20 out of 21 and they pounded all these horrible teams and they were made the big favorite against Boston. Then Boston, no Gordon Hayward, 
no Kyrie Irving, and Boston wins in five games. And that Philly team just crumpled. And I saw it again when they lost to Boston last night, RJ, where Embiid, when he was interviewed after, what, what, what went wrong? What, 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 why did you guys lose? And he's like, oh, the refs, just lots of bad calls. He blamed it on the refs. I don't like that at all. And I think this is a team that likes to make excuses. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right that they're going to be le- they're more fragile. Yes, right. And if everything fa- falls right and it's like an all star game type, they probably have the best talent. It's just very rarely that type of uh, or that type of team very rarely wins. Okay, we got our bets. I'm pretty happy. I think Brad's feeling bad. Brad, I'll let you buy out for uh, two hundred. Two hundred to buy out? No. <laughs> Two hundred. My goodness. <laughs> My, go- it's like he's a Mayberry. He's like, holy gee, that's not a good deal. Next topic. Oh, we're moving to Brad's wheelhouse. College basketball. You're gonna have your best bet in a minute. Top sixteen came out. Explain where that top sixteen came from, and also explain the overrated underrated teams. Cause I think the public's going to be affected by that. We can take advantage full disclosure. I'm going to walk and get a mountain dew. So Brad, the first 30 seconds of this, if he says anything goofy <laughs> and I don't interject, don't think I missed it. I was just getting a mountain dew. All right. So there's this thing called the tournament reveal. It's been happening the last four or five years happens right around the second Saturday in February. The actual NCAA tournament committee comes out and basically says, hey, if the NCAA, if it was selection Sunday today, right now in February, this is what our top four seeds would look like. Not only the top four seeds, we're talking the top 16 overall teams. So four seeds in each of the brackets, the East, the West, the Midwest and the South. And they stack rank them. They just don't get you. Here's our one seeds. Here's our two seeds. Here's our three. Here's our fours. They rank them one through 16. So the team that came in at the top and kudos to the committee, Duke, number one, not the number one team in the AP poll, which has it wrong with Tennessee, but Duke clearly the best team in the country. Any Vegas power rating will have that. The other number one seeds would be Tennessee, Virginia, and Gonzaga. So those are your four number one seeds. And and just generally speaking, I thought the NCAA tournament committee did a good job. I mean, the teams that I have, as far as the Vegas power rating, each of the top nine teams are in there. So no no bones about that. And and really no bones about how they stack rank the the teams, basically one through eight or nine are just a little bit different. But here are the biggest disagreements I have from the NCAA tournament committee. Number one, most overrated team, Kansas, believe it or not, the Kansas Jayhawks. Here's what I thought the committee saw. They awarded. (laughs) Welcome back, RJ, in case you heard that. (laughs) What they basically did was awarded Kansas for playing the toughest schedule in America so far. And there might be a little bit past pedigree with the Jayhawks. But right now, this is a Kansas team that's missing three of their top seven players that they had at the start of the season. Their starting center as a their second leading scorer, LeGerald Vick, and a key reserve in Marcus Gilbert. Three of their top seven guys are out right now. And by any stretch, Kansas, forget being number 10, Kansas is not in the top 16 in pretty much anybody's polls as far as a power rating. So what's your rating? I have Kansas right around number 20 right now. So this big, big disagreement is four slots. 
No, 10 to 20. Oh, oh, so Kansas, Kansas is is 10. Oh, 10 okay. in the NCAA. I was thinking of the top 16. And this is a Kansas team that just played on the road at a TCU team that's middle of the barrel in terms of the Big 12, and TCU was a clear favorite, minus 2.5 in that game. So right now, what is what bet would you make? What odds would you give on Kansas winning the Big 12? Oh, I'd give you 8 to 1. Uh, so it's a significant long shot right yep. now. Because to me, that whole, I don't want to bet against Kansas until that's a dream crushed. Yep, They are so fixated on that streak. So I'll be interested in you and A.J. Hoffman. There's been a lot of love for this. Doing a podcast release Monday morning. Doing a podcast release Friday morning. They Two times a week, right, in this feed. So if you're not getting... A subscription to this, which is free. If you're not getting a subscription, just go to your favorite pod player or players and subscribe to the Dream Preview. And then Monday morning, Friday morning, you guys are doing about an hour. Yep, right around an hour. And you're breaking down all the biggest games yep. coming up in the next couple of days. Absolutely. So, what I would ask is when you feel like if and when Kansas is out of it, of the Big 12, I think that's a, a place to fade them for yep. a game or two. Do you agree with that? Totally agree with that. And until then, I think they probably play harder than than you might suspect, holding on to that hope. And they certainly looked like they were holding on to it during their most recent game against TCU. They rallied to win in overtime. Ooh. See? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, continue. Yeah, and, and so Kansas, the most overrated team. The biggest underrated, or, or let's just say biggest omission... The defending national champs, Villanova, who I have number nine in my ratings. And just put this in perspective. Villanova just played on the road against Marquette, the number 12 team in the committee rankings. In that game, Villanova lost by one. But more importantly, the line on that game was one and a half or two, Villanova being the underdog. In a big type of college basketball game like that one was, usually the home team gets right around four points of home court advantage. So Vegas was saying that Villanova clearly at least one and a half, two points better than the number 12 team in the committee rankings, Marquette, just the, the most recent game. It's always fascinating because it's not just public perception versus Brad Powers. It's public perception, Vegas, Brad Powers. And in this case, you and Vegas agree yep. Villanova's in the top 16. At easily in the top 16. The... Public perception, the committee says no. Committee says no. Still hurting them from what uh, happened earlier in the season. Villanova lost to teams like Penn and Furman. But those players that were basically role players for the last national championship team have now eased into the starting roles. And it's a, one of the more hottest teams in the country. 11 and, 11 and won their last 12 games, Villanova. And the reason we like to look at these rankings is the public's betting, the, the recreational betters, it's shaped by things like these popularity polls. It's like, oh, look, this team's number 14. And it affect, and there's an old school, and I actually like this trend. If you have a ranked team in college football or college basketball yep. that's an underdog on the road against an unranked team, there's systems where you just play that home team because the theory is, the marketplace, the recreational better is going to say, wait, I got the team that has the little number beside their name and I'm getting points. 
gimme, 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 and thus that that team gets expensive, even though they're getting points. Especially this time of year, because the public has more say in college basketball in the month of February than, say, November and December when they're betting football. Exactly. And, and you saw that just the other night when Duke was at Louisville at open six and Duke has become such a public team. And now the public starting to bet college basketball, that game moves all the way up to Duke minus eight, as high as minus eight and a half. And Brad, you thought it's a combination of that plus that, that Virginia win. Yeah. The Virginia win was one of the bigger wins of the entire college basketball season. And that game against Louisville, the opening number six was right where my power ratings had it. And I haven't seen a big disparity in Duke individual game by game basis. My power rating compared to the Vegas line. That was the first game in this last 10 or 12 where my power rating was off two and a half points, all because of that public betting. So you're looking to fade Duke at this point. Yeah. And and what happened in that game, I think even makes it stronger. So the big story is not that Duke almost lost outright. It's, Hey, this great Duke team rallied from 23 points down one that somehow found a way to win. I, I think a majority of the public is going to be like, oh, look, look how good Duke is. They didn't cash the ticket, but they still won. People aren't downgrading Duke enough from that performance. Brad Powers, all the college knowledge. Now, his favorite song. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. If AJ don't get it, then he don't get it. That's on him. Listen, if you're, I mean, nice guy, deep knowledge, but you know, come on. He's not super cultured. Let's say it like that. <laughs> let's just say it like that. You know, it's funny, Brad. I've been seeing some feedback on Twitter. He goes, Brad, you're so nice. It's like, you're, are you scared of AJ? He's got. You do realize he's thousands of miles away in Houston. Yeah, but he makes several trips a year to Vegas. You're just scared. He stepped into the octagon. I have <laughs> literally. Yeah. All right. All right. Best bad time. Now you guys give a bunch of picks on this pod on your pod. Um, Dream preview college basketball edition, but when appropriate, we're just going to always have during the off season on football, a best bet. Often it's going to be a football future. It could be who knows what. It's just the thing you like most right now. Go Brad. Yeah, it's Saturday, Big 12 action. Best bet for me, Kansas State, minus two over Iowa State. My buy price, though, take it all the way up to minus four. So I'll like Kansas State at minus two, minus three, minus four. Best bet for me with Kansas State. I think we have clearly the best team in the Big 12 right now. Eight straight wins and covers since they got their key player back. Kansas State center Dean Wade returned from injury. This team was thrown away in the trash. They struggled early on in the season in non-conference. Their play, one of their best players was hurt. Now he's returned. This is clear-cut the best team in the Big 12. And I also think it's a sneaky team this time of year. They know when to turn on the light switch. Kansas State last year, an Elite Eight team that returned all of their top seven players from a year ago. I like this Kansas State team so much, RJ. I just bet them to win the title at 60 to 1. I think we could have a top 10 team here in Kansas State that's being priced barely as a top 25 team. And six early losses, but that K-State team is playing so well that if they do indeed win the Big 12, it's hard to imagine. They could well win it that they won't get a number two seed. Agreed. I agree. Mm, Good stuff. All right. We've got Dave Esler, Uncle Dave, with some thoughts on... 
an overrated team. The other side of the equation, Arizona State. Last summer, we did a lot of overrated, underrated things week to week. And I want to start that at least again for the next couple of weeks in college basketball. And a team I think is going to be overrated going forward, Arizona State. Especially after the Washington win, people forget the game before that. They got boat raced at home by a terrible Washington State team. And history generally repeats itself. And last year, ASU was undefeated heading into conference play. They'd beaten Kansas State, Xavier, and Kansas. Good to go. Not so fast. Then they go 8-10 and in Pac-12 play with two road wins, one over Cal. That doesn't count. I personally attribute a lot of that to fatigue with the pace they play, and they've got a relatively short bench. Fast forward to 2019, same tempo, shorter bench, and considerably younger. What happens? They've got two conference road wins this season, one at Cal. It doesn't count. Looking ahead, five of their last seven games are on the road, and they'll likely be underdogs in all of them. As of Tuesday night the 12th, Ken Palm ranked them 64th. Last year, the 64th-ranked team, Old Dominion, didn't get in the tournament. year before, 64th-ranked team, Texas A&M, didn't get in the tournament. I've seen some brackets that have them as an 11 seed. And I think when all is said and done, I think they're a two seed in the NIT, and I'm looking to play against them for the rest of the regular season as much as I can. Yeah, I agree with uh, Dave as far as Arizona State being overrated, but for different reasons. You look at their big win here recently, Arizona State against Washington, very big-time outlier performance. Arizona State in that game hit 62% from the field against a Washington team that hadn't allowed in a single opponent more than 48% from the field this entire season. So it was just one of those games where Arizona State had a hot night shooting. I don't think that's repeatable going forward. It's also an Arizona State team, Dave kind of mentioned on this, that's feasted at home this year. Arizona State right now, as we're taping on Tuesday, hasn't played a road game in the last three weeks. Majority of their games upcoming are going to be on the road. I agree with Dave. Arizona State overrated. Brad's killing it, Fez. So I'm going to say you're shrinking in your chair, it seems like. I just don't ask me to break down Arizona State. No, it's just I'm just saying I, it's time to step it up. It's I think. your time of the year, Brad. He, you guys stepped it up with the draft. Are you kidding me? I'm like Team John, Giannis. Celtics <laughs> and paying money. All right. Well, Fez has a chance at redemption. Next up, his best bet. Now, our one and only commercial break. What you wear and what you put into your body is made to help you look, feel, and perform your best. Shouldn't what you put on your skin every day do the same? Well, That's where artofsport.com comes in. They've developed better for you products that perform better. It's a combination of innovation, the best science, with the guidance of world-class athletes to take your skincare up to the next level. Now, we got a special promo code RJDREAM. It's all one word. Letter R, letter J, DREAM, D. R-E-A-M. Go to Art of Sport. That's not plural. So no S at the end. Artofsport.com and get 50% off any bundle kit and free shipping on orders of $35 or more. What's in the kit? Deodorant, hair and body wash, body bar, and free sunscreen. Listen, you know, you got your partner. It's, you know how it is when you feel really good, like you've done everything that you like to do to feel good, 
about the way you look, the way you smell, and someone you care about, they they get closer. As they get closer, you feel better about it, right? But if you don't feel like you're prepared, the closer you get, you get that anxiety. Now think about it. One of the joys of life is getting close to someone you want to get close to. If you have any anxiety, well, why not get some stuff that's going to help you with that? And let's be honest, you try something new, it's more fun when you do it, right? When I get a new ray, I, I love to get new razors, let's say, you know, where, oh, look, there's this five blades now. So when I get it first, you know, couple weeks I'm shaving with it, I'm like enjoying it. It's fun, right? Who's to say amongst this package, what's going to be fun in a way that you keep using and thus you feel better about when people get close. And remember, it's 50% off using the promo code RJDREAM. We all deserve to give our skin what it needs to smell, look, and feel its best. Treat your skin with respect at artofsport.com. Use promo code RJDREAM at artofsport.com and get 50% off any bundle kit and free shipping on orders to $35 or more. Give it a try. Finally, our old buddy at True Car. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer on your car with True Car. That's right. And the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's Details pop up, answer a few questions, and you'll get an accurate true cash offer from a local true car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need. So there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. This is R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. All right, Fez, you've been waiting to hear it. The A, A, F. Is Is that right? That's right. Oh, my. The Alliance. We are going to go with. Well, hold on. Let's talk about it. So how did you initially approach the AAF? Well, I felt like the totals that were being dealt on the games were too high because I remembered back. Really? Because all the sharps I heard, or we'll call them radio sharps and put it in quotes, they were saying that, uh, Oh, the no blitzing, blah, blah, blah. Now, you heard that narrative, right? I did. And so there are two key rules. Did you disagree with it? Yes. But somehow you kept it from us. Yes. Why? I've been busy with other things. Oh, okay. Did you bet it? I didn't think that the AF was going to make your radar screen. You know, you're right. I got to be honest. I'm surprised at the amount of talk I'm hearing about it. And there were some bookmakers on local Vegas radio saying, the in-game betting, once people started watching it. And Brad, you had some number about the TV rating? Yeah, the TV rating saw 
The AAF outdo the NBA game. They went head to head. The AAF game did 3.3 million. The NBA game that featured the Rockets and uh, I believe the Thunder only did 2.7 million on ABC. Wowza. So AAF has more than a, a prime NBA game in week one. Yeah, keep in mind the XFL had 14 million week one of their first game, NBC. But this was all a different age yes. where every, you know, like all in the family had 60 million <laughs> away, you know, sure. which was obviously yeah. many years before. So, Fez, you're, you were thinking unders. Go ahead. Yeah. So, two key rules changes. Let's go through it. And you nailed it. One is no blitzing. So, that obviously helps the offense. The second rules change that was supposed to increase scoring is the 35 second clock. So, instead of a 40 second clock, that's set in the NFL after a play ends. Now they set it to 35. So let's think about this. So that's good because there's going to be more plays, right? Because you got to snap the ball within 35 seconds. More plays should mean more points. But here's what I actually saw. I saw a lot of teams, especially the road teams on offense, struggling to get the playoff in time because of that shorter play clock. So they they ran more plays. So the crowd noise. There's crowd noise. And just in general, it's, you're always more uncomfortable on the road than being at home. And all their lives, these, these guys are used to having a certain play clock in their head. And now they have to play a little bit faster. And it really seemed to rattle the road teams. Let me give you the exact specifics in terms of scoring. The road team scored six points, six points, zero points, and 22 points. And the road teams, RJ, got outscored on average by 21 points in week one of the AAF. I would argue a big part of that, this 35-second clock really hurt the road teams. That's pretty good because if you have four games and four results, that's the definition of small sample size, but you've got a rationale behind it. Doesn't mean it's true. You just are hoping you're right 55% of the time. Makes sense to me. Does to me as well. And let's be honest. You used to hear, I, I there's famous stories back where I grew up about high school where they had a mechanical clock, like, and that when it was late in a game, someone would go down there and have a stick and be, they'd be crouched down and they'd have a stick where they're holding the mechanical clock where it's supposed to be running, but it's not. I'm guessing shenanigans, you know, to this day, <laughs> Tomlin's thinking, oh, I can't hear myself in my headphones. Or, you know, when I play at New England, I bet there might be some shenanigans that might be going on with those uh, home teams. I would not be surprised. I mean, as the dirtiest player in the game, you would understand that. I would welcome being the timekeeper, and I know I would start that play clock promptly when my opponent had the ball. But wouldn't... You would do it promptly, yes. But wouldn't you you worry that your 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 little son Johnny would see that daddy was cheating and think cheating was the right way to go? That's not cheating. The, that's just being a. Um, if you ain't a, cheating, you ain't trying. That's just being a good timekeeper in um, Birmingham or wherever you might be. Will the time come though that you don't want to be quite the dirtiest player in the game? You're willing to give back some edge. So you can be a good role model for little Johnny. How much edge do I got to get back? <laughs> that's got to, that's going to be in the, the middle of the night. You've got to decide that for yourself. <laughs> Let us know though. So it, we know when to fade you. Okay. 
right, best bet. Best bet. Well, after saying how the new rules benefit the home teams, of course I'm going to look towards a home team. I'm going to take San Antonio plus six hosting Orlando. Now, Orlando just crushed Atlanta 40 to six. They looked really good. That's why they're favored in this game by six. But I would make the case that that win against Atlanta, you got to put an asterisk by it. Atlanta, major concerns. How much am I concerned about them? Their head coach quit right before the season started. Did not want to go ahead and coach the team. That's a sign that that's a team without talent. And San Antonio just... Yeah, but that's all going to be built. If anything, that's probably overreacted to in the number. I. It, it's hard to say with the numbers that they're putting up here, RJ. Um, I do know that... What are the limits right now? Limits in most places, 500 so $1,000 at some places. And so San Antonio just beat the San Diego Fleet, and the Fleet are coached by Mike Martz, and they actually were well thought of in the power ratings by the so league. the Rams guy. Yeah, the Rams guy. Greatest show on turf. And so they basically beat a team that was well thought of going into the season. So because of that, it's landed me on value on San Antonio, plus six home dog. Now, some people believe that these more obscure games offer the best betting opportunities. The book, they're not evaluating these teams like VMI versus Citadel, maybe as sacrilegiously as I am. I'm huddling around the TV night after night after night. So are you as sacrilegiously (laughs) watching the AAF? Uh, I plan to, yes. Sacrilegiously? I wouldn't use that term. (laughs) That's our competition, guys. Think about it. All right. Any <laughs> Brad, are you jumping in the AAF at all? You know, I I was stunned at the, you know, I'm with you, RJ. I didn't think anyone would be asking for it. Didn't think there'd be much of a demand, but I guess now I should. I have a disclosure to make. Yes. Um, on his off time, I sent the mayor out to bet the AAF for me on the weekends. Okay. And he did, he did very well. I hope you're properly compensating him. I am. Uh, <laughs> all right, next topic. Only two to go. We've got Denver, Baltimore. Big trade. Big, big trade. Fez, I'll let you, dealer's choice, start with the Ravens, start with the Broncos. Takeaway. Let's start with Denver. I did upgrade Denver Flacco. No great shakes with Flacco. I've got him rated the number 24 quarterback, but I think it's an upgrade, slight upgrade for Denver. Compare him to Case Keenum. Keenum is my number 29 quarterback, so I expect Denver to be slightly improved at the quarterback position. Now, I'm eating a hosted, (laughs) some kind of cake here. Here's my question. What did you have Flacco ranked (laughs) two years ago? Yeah, we talked about this on radio. Yeah, just um, really 18 months ago, I had Flacco the number 29 quarterback. So stop there. So Flacco's 24 months older you know, when he plays next year. Currently 34. Yep. 24 months older and he's gotten better. How does that happen? Because I saw his QBR get worse each and every year since his Super Bowl year. And then all of a sudden, 2018, he improved. He got markedly better last year. And what do you think the cause of that was? Well, I think a big part of that was, uh uh-oh, Lamar Jackson drafted in the first round. Wait a minute. They're trying to take my job away from me. And all of a sudden, Flacco started working with his receivers in the offseason, started attending the voluntary workouts because he knew his job was at stake. Agreed. So how would you think his mentality is going to be with Denver? Because the word is Keenum is going to either be traded or cut. 
That is the concern that he may lapse back into the old Flacco habits of not preparing. May. May. Yes. May. But I know this about Case Keenum, RJ. I looked at his QBR. Remember, he was great with Minnesota that one year. He's got five other years of data in the league. Every single year, his QBR was below 50. That's bad. The current average in the league, QBR is 60. Okay, but the question is, if Flacco's two years older than the last time he played without being, you know, having a fire under his butt, that feels like that's not a recipe for an upgrade. Well, you're right. If he plays without being motivated and he's right back to where he was two years ago. That well, he won't be right back to where he was. He'll be two years old. Ah, uh, 34. A lumbering. 32. I don't Come know on, if there's any he, difference. With his lumbering way of playing. And I still think the fact he didn't have Frankenstein-esque. to Frankenstein-esque. The fact he didn't have to take all those hits that Big Ben has to take for 16 weeks. He only had eight weeks of it, I think, has to help. Thoughts, Brad? I think maybe a change of scenery. I, whenever you have a new job, no, no matter what your prior work ethics were, I think at least initially you try to, you know, g- give that A effort as far as, you know, giving a max effort at a, at a new position. So maybe for one year or maybe a half a season, we, we see good Joe Flacco. But, I mean, sooner or later, he's going to go back to his, you know, his work poor work habits. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you've got to give Baltimore credit. They got a fourth-round pick on a contract that, I mean, I'm guessing they would have cut him if they couldn't trade him. Yep. Was there that much demand? Who else was bidding for Flacco? <laughs> I like to see that. that. I heard. All right, let's flip to the Ravens. Thoughts? Yes, yeah, slight upgrade for the Ravens. I think that you got eighteen more million to spend on some acquisitions now, and the fact of does this really work to have Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco? You said Frankenstein monster versus like super super elite athletes. Now you got RG three backing them up, so you can tailor your offense towards one sort of quarterbacks. Now the challenge, of course, will be that the defenses, of course, can go ahead and spend time to stop that type of offense. But I think. Baltimore is better. Isn't it funny where when we talk about something on the radio, he tries to co-opt my argument <laughs> before I, it'd be like, you know, some people may say, and then you give like a crappy version of my argument. And then when I'm going to say it, it won't sound as good. It's not okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm listening to you. RJ. Well, yeah, but you got to let me say it or do it justice. <laughs> I think it's a little bit more than, so let's go through it. How many teams in the modern era of the NFL, and let's just call that 2010. So the super modern era are going to run, ran the ball as much as we expect Baltimore to run the ball. None. Who would be second? Just the Wildcats. Yeah, but that wasn't an offense the whole year. That was what, at most, how many, uh, was it ever even 20% of snaps for teams? Yeah. So who would be second? RG3. Okay. Has that even been 2010 since he hurt his knee? When was that? So let's just say this is the true definition of unique, one of a kind. Now, what was your sense of, let's forget the durability, though that is an issue for sure. And maybe I'll ask you this question. If we were doing another of these drafts and we said, which starting quarterback is going to miss the most games next year? What kind of vig are you laying to take Lamar Jackson? He would be the favorite. Right? Yep. So let's accept if he gets through the season, it's going to be 
he he's the most prone to be injured. Yes. Lamar Jackson. Now, so here's the question. Even if he's not, when a team got a second crack, just a second crack at him, the Chargers, boy, it felt like a big difference. Yeah, the Chargers completely stopped that offense. And frankly, Baltimore was very effective that first game and ran the same stuff for them to succeed. They're going to have to be able to vary their offense because the defenses will catch up. But here's the thing. If someone comes in eating Twinkies and drinking full sugar Mountain Dew oh, <clears throat> and says, oh, by the way, I've got a new diet, right? I'm the only person in the world doing this diet, but I think it's going to work for me. When you think, well, wait, a, wait a minute, there's basic assumptions amongst the experts of here's how you lose weight and someone's doing the opposite, probably an underdog to succeed. All the greatest minds in football have in the last since 2010 have thought, how can we win? How can we win? No, single one of these minds has come up with let's run the have a college type run the quarterback offense. I get it. Lamar Jackson is the best, maybe, of that type of quarterback. But boy, you're make you're literally making a bet on the Ravens that something that hasn't worked for anyone in the modern era will work for them. Yeah, well, part of the reason it hasn't worked is that inevitably your quarterback gets injured or he gets banged up. So this is the case of upgrade for the Ravens you're making right now. Yes, and <laughs> and one thing about what? the NFL, you can't breathe on a quarterback anymore. So it's possible that no, 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 no. When you're running. Remember in the Super Bowl when he when Goff was running out of bounds, they put a hit on him. He was still in bounds, wasn't even close to a flag. Yes. So we're not talking about, if anything, he won't take a ton of hits in the pocket because he's not in the pocket. Fair enough. So once again, how you're making a bet by being upgrade rate, not a literal bet, but you're shown optimism, which is predicated on the Ravens doing something no NFL team Hasn't even tried. It's one thing if they tried and, and failed and said, well, multiple people thought it was viable, but we've got the parts to make it happen. In this case, no one even thought it was worth trying. Because they knew their quarterback is going to get killed after a couple of years. So after a couple of years? Yeah, maybe the last couple of years. So now the question is, why would you upgrade the Ravens for doing it? Because I think that short term, Lamar Jackson. How short is short term? Couple years. Couple, couple years. Couple years. Okay. Yeah. That I, I believe that from what I saw, he was much better throwing the ball than what I expected. And I really, where did you did you see some private practice? Because I didn't see it on the field. Oh, on the field, he was better than what I thought he would be. He was. I was surprised. Oftentimes, they'd have a third and two, and they was throw he the, the ball worst? Of just was he the it. worst throwing quarterback amongst the starters in the NFL? He, he and Josh, not Josh Allen, um, Rosen. He and Rosen. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying. The worst thrown quarterback was better than you expected. Yes. Still doesn't sound like a recipe for success. Yeah, that's true. What do you think, Brad? I, I think the strong point you were bringing it up is these defenses are now will have an entire offseason to scheme up against Lamar Jackson. And we even saw at the college level, Lamar Jackson, after he broke onto the scene, that Heisman Trophy winning season, even by the end of that season, defenses were adjusting to Lamar Jackson and, and obviously didn't have as strong as a season his uh, junior year after uh, everyone had an entire offseason. That was at the college level. 
What do you think it's going to be like at the NFL, Fez? Well, it's going to be a challenge. He's going to have to grow and improve and, and be grow able to step physically. He's going to be able. To, he's going to have to be able to improve. I mean, you're right. If, he, if he's able to become a, even an average 16th best passer, then you've got even something. 20, even 26. That's all it's going to take with the wheels that he has on him. Can he do it? Maybe not. The good news for the Ravens is at least they're making a commitment to it. You can't do this halfway. Yep. They're making the commitment. So and 18 million dollars helps too. No doubt. I mean, that fly and getting a fourth round pick again, the front office for the Ravens, give them credit. Okay, guys, last topic. Great show so far. Um, All right. So we talked about Darren Ravel last week. I think a story that came out this week that uh, is related. So maybe we tie it all together. So Brad Showtime had an announcement why don't you give us kind of the news of that? Yeah, so Showtime coming up here, I believe on March the 24th, is going to be the part one of a four-part documentary basically on the sports betting scene. And they came out with their first like commercial tease of what's going to be in the documentary. And there were certain you know Vegas figures that, that were in it. And some, one in particular being very controversial, uh, Vegas Dave, who some people... Uh, is known around here, but a guy that's, you know, has a criminal history was featured more prominently than anybody else as far as this 32nd tease. And to me, that, that's a major concern that, you know, at uh, someone like Showtime, a big, you know, industry conglomerate just doesn't know about this industry whatsoever. Very ignorant on my part, on their part. Yeah. So to me, one, I think, and I've talked about this, I guess, broadly, but to be more specific, the amount of interest in this industry post-legalization, post-May, this past May, surprised me in that I've been in Vegas uh, now now 21 years, and it was almost like, you know, I think I used this analogy before, is when you're well, where I grew up, everyone drank in the summer. If you were 16 years old and you weren't drinking... Natural light, natty light. Some of my friends had bush light, but ugh. and <laughs> to me, it was like six, eight beers a night. That sounds crazy for a sixteen-year-old. And kids, I don't suggest it. But it was nineteen eighty-five, and there was no internet. There was thirteen channels on the TV. Zeppelin was no longer around, so we had to keep listening to physical graffiti. And eventually, what are you going to do? You're going to start drinking. The idea of a kid drinking was just normal. It was like it was the echo chamber of this. Now, if you're from an area where that's crazy, you walk in and see a bunch of 15-year-olds drinking, you're going to be like, OMG. To me, gambling was never a taboo. And the media I've done always embraced it. Colin Cowherd, Stephen A. Smith. I mean, it was never like, oh, we've got some dirty guy from Vegas on. It was, we've got the Associated Press Official odds maker. We've got the guy that spoke at South by Southwest. The guy that was hanging out with the rock on ballers. Well, not really hanging out, but he did have his arm around me for that moment. So, yeah. Okay. I always was treated with respect. So, it was a weird kind of echo chamber for me. Gambling's fine. What I didn't fully realize was the big billion, and I mean billion dollar companies didn't want to mess with it. And so what's happened is once it's gone legal, it's like, wow, there's a lot of money to be made. 
especially considering on the sports media side, because I don't care if it's sports media or media in general, read the news. Uh, Gannett just had uh, a newspaper chain, a uh, bunch of layoffs, Buzzfeed, who is new media, bunch of layoffs, vice in general, people are starting to wonder, wait a minute, Facebook is capturing a huge chunk of the advertising profit, Google, huge chunk, and then the little pieces they're given the media companies, it's not enough for those media companies to pay professional level journalism. So if you've got a guy, and I mean, think about ESPN, as much as people lament, oh, there were these layoffs and all this stuff, the reality was if it were a standalone site, ESPN.com with all the reporters, by all accounts that I understand, massive losing proposition. Uh, one of my favorite guys personally and professionally, Don Van Nauta, I mean, a plus act, not an A, an A plus, and has done some great work. Literally three Pulitzer Prizes, not one, not two, three. Fez, you've got two super contests. He's got three. And he gets paid. And um, I mean, this is public. So, I, you know, it's seven figures plus to write. Now he's doing some different things now and expanding his role. And I can't wait. We're going to actually have him on for a podcast, long kind of deep dive. I can't imagine for the life of me that that's a profit center. That if they look at what Don Van Nada, for example, is generating views on his stories or whatever, it's not making that money. But ESPN is making hundreds of millions, billions, whatever, on their play-by-play rights and all the other things they do. And just like a company will say, okay, we're going to, you know, buy a business building at Stanford and call it the Zuckerberg building, not because we're going to make money from that building, but because branding wise, you know, it's kind of the, it's kind of the, uh, the marquee kind of, you know, where like a WWE wants to have, you know, like a charity drive. Why? Because the WWE feels a little kind of dirty sometimes and grimy. Oh, hey, let's. So ESPN does a lot of things people don't like. ESPN spends some money on deep journalism. Bob Lee, another good example. And, and, and I know Bob a little bit and Bob's always been great. These are journalists. It's expensive. What newspapers truly are doing deep journalism now? The Associated Press isn't a newspaper. It's a, a an, an amalgamation or a collective might be the better word. That's truly actually a nonprofit. And a lot of entities contribute to it. The theory is let's just that one group do all this work that we might have to pay for separately. And then we all just got to pay for it once. So oftentimes with these local papers, I mean, small town papers, you'll see almost all AP stories. They've got five or six stories that are, you know, some guy got bit by a dog or whatever happened at the city commission or whatever. And there's like two people getting paid like 26,000 a year to write those stories. So if you're not being subsidized by things like play by play with ESPN and all those rights. And now the question becomes 
as the Amazons of the world and the Facebooks of the world start getting competitive to bid for the NBA, to bid for the NFL, all of a sudden now, if the market price of these play-by-play properties go up, will that even be a profit center? So if the news gathering and reporting isn't a profit center and the play-by-play isn't, then what is? Mm. So who knows where media is going? The athletic has led the way with subscription. The theory is if you really want something good, you better pay for it or you're going to have to pay for it. Now, the athletic is very well funded with VC money. Are they going to be able to turn a profit eventually? There's a lot of debate in media about that. But here's what we know for sure is people are willing to pay if they bet for information that helps them bet. And that's why what you're seeing is Fox Sports Radio. And let's be candid is uh, the boss is there. Scott Shapiro being my main contact. He's the VP over there. They are have been visionary with this. Is, is Scott really uh, embraced me years ago, made it where I was, uh, you know, a featured guest on a lot of shows. And then uh, two years ago, he gave us a weekend, three hours as a test, and then gave us the first and only, the first, the only nationally distributed on a major network sports betting show straight out of Vegas, six o'clock Eastern Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Okay. Why? We thought we did good work. Yeah. But uh Oh, here comes Malmuth park. Here comes Philly, this and, and uh, eventually California in theory, the advertising money humongous. I do three separate spots during the football season on ESPN New York. And think about this. They they were paying me to go on air and now the football season's over and I'm still doing one of them with uh, the noon show on Friday. So literally at noon, they figure, well, when's the most people going to listen? Well, n- midday, it's going to be right at noon. People get off, they go in the cars, they on the subway, whatever they're doing, they got their headphones on, they're listening to the radio. Right. So on top of that, at 445 on Thursday, which is right before drive time on Friday. And let's be honest, some people cut out early on Fridays is on with Michael K, biggest name in ESPN, New York radio, second biggest, I guess, with Francesa. And on Saturday, going into the noon kickoffs. 11 to 12, we did an hour, and that's going to continue actually all the way through the NBA Finals on ESPN New York. Why? Because RJ's such a great broadcaster? Well, maybe that's why they picked me to do it, but they're doing it because now that Jersey's legal, the money is just pouring in because it's a it's a race. Think about it. Uh, uh, Johnny Avello's company, I always mix them up. Which one's Avello with? DraftKings. DraftKings. They they had, what, a, a, over a million-dollar overlay on a contest just to get some attention. If they're do, And, again, I love it. I love the ambition, right? And that's another topic we'll get into next week is 
you know, I know the guys a little bit of prop swap. They've always been nice to me. And we were talking about how, well, the cash out and the prop swap, and they're making the case, oh, the cash out doesn't give you near the value that you can get on our market. So that's actually going to be interesting to explore in the next week or two. We'll have time. But the point is, there's innovation going on. And to me, that's all player friendly. But what we also know is they're spending money because whatever the three or four or five biggest books are, eventually, there's going to be such big money nationally. Caesars, who quite frankly, never took sports betting seriously in the last 10 years, at least, Fess. Yeah, they, they had completely downplayed it. It was almost like an inconvenience. It was an for amenity. Them, high rollers. Exactly. Yes. And, and, and my understanding was they were like so close to the deal to let CG technology or Cantor at the time come in and take over. And now they're originating. They're the first ones to put up MLB season wins and the like. Yeah. So they're, but, and then they make a deal with the leagues and MGM and Jay Rude, they're making a deal with the leagues. So the money's humongous. All right. So what ends up happening is you get people coming in that are looking to take advantage, looking to benefit, not take advantage as exploit, but rather to benefit. So if you're some media guy and listen, I've taken the time to get, take a few breaths with this Darren Ravel thing, because I don't want it to be personal. You know, here's the way I always think about, when it comes to, do I really dislike someone? If J.D. Rockefeller came along, you know, he was reincarnated and he came along and he said, all right, RJ, who do you hate the most? And I think about it, it's, you know, pot belly, bald, kind of squinting, you know, I, like I got a vision of someone, right? And that part, and if they, if they said, all right, RJ, here's the thing. I'm going to give that chubby fellow 10 million dollars and I'm going to give you five million or I'm going to give neither of you anything, both of you, nothing. What would I choose? Now, if you truly hate somebody, if it rises to that level, you'd say F him, don't give us anything. So maybe take that with you. Do you really hate someone that much? If so, great. Go for it. <laughs> Not necessarily great, but at least embrace the truth of it. Right? I have, like, literally, if you said give Darren Ravel $10 million and give me $10,000, i will take it. I could care less. So it's not about him personally. But Ravel is a prototype, I think, of a, a problem. And here's the prototype. Ravel, and again, let's give some real credit. Who in the heck could have made the, he's made millions. Who in the heck could have made millions of dollars about how many calories there are in a Dodger dog? Or like, you know, opening up George Brett's rookie baseball card and, and seeing if the gum was still fresh. I mean, this guy has a, a mind for uh, minutiae, you can call it, factoids. Whatever that is unmatched. I think a lot of the anger for Ravel, and there's tons of it, is because he's taken something that seems inconsequential and made a big career out of it. Where a lot of people are very self-important in journalism, aren't making near the money. But then things seem to have changed. I don't know if it's ESPN getting, you know, more 
focused on, you know, uh, journalism or at least the perception of it, or if it's budgetary or what I feel like it is, is the internet's maturing and you can only hear so many times about, you know, again, uh, nacho chips and, and calories or whatever it is they're talking about. So Ravel is, so by my, with the whispers I hear, and this is, we'll say allegedly that ESPN said, we, we're not interested at any price. We've had a nice run. Good luck. I don't know if that's true, but what we know for sure is Ravel wasn't re-upped by ESPN. So now here's a guy that had a big, big contract, and now he doesn't. So what's he going to do? He's going to go around to the highest bidder, and he goes over to a company that is a sports betting company. This isn't some sidelight. It's a sports betting company. And this company decides they're going to – now listen – I, I, I'd be shocked if Ravel's making anything near what he made at ESPN, but it's got to be a big number, right? It's not 50,000 a year, right? So the company really made a statement and said, we want this kind of attention. Someone like this can give, give us attention and who knows, we can do something with the attention. I got no problem with that. Really, that's no different than if I let's say paid Colin Cowherd to be our spokesman and Colin was doing commercials for us or would, would, would Colin have to be a gambling expert to make that deal? No, just like think of any other spokesman, right? Hey, I'm so-and-so for the New York stock exchange. It doesn't mean they're able to be a day trader or whatever. It means they're a spokesman. Now where the problems start is if a Ravel, and let's be specific in this case, is attempting to be a reporter in an industry, then he should really understand the industry. And anyone that understands sports betting that follows Darren Ravel is going to say Darren Ravel does not meet the standard of understanding sports betting. And to me... This is dangerous. And I'll give you another example. And and I'll be honest with you. I'm, I won't even give this person's name because the last thing I want to do is start some kind of, listen, anyone who follows me on Twitter, I defy you to find one time, once, that I ever start trouble. And the one exception would be I did fire the first shot with Ravel. And I'll explain other than that, I've been on Twitter, what, nine years. I find me one time, right? You won't. Now, I counterpunch. I probably, <laughs> it's one of those uh, De Niro, right? They put one of yours in the hospital, put one of them in the morgue. I tend to overdo it. Faz, would you say? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I think you're just right. Well, then you're a vindictive mofo. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like the way you uh, play your cards. Well, to me, I, I you got to send a message. And people, I'm going to be honest. There's no one on Twitter in sports betting, quote, ready to tangle with me. You're just not. And when you do, you lose. We're, we spend our time making ourselves bulletproof. That's the point, right? I'm, I might lose 20 games in a row. 
right? It's not about that, but I'm going to have the right answer. And if I don't have the right answer, I'm going to tell you, I don't know the answer. And if somehow I think I've got the right answer and I don't, and Fezzik doesn't know, and Brad doesn't know, and all the other experts we have doesn't know, someone's going to tell me and I'm going to make it clear. So I'm far from perfect, but I'm always trying to be perfect. And that makes you bulletproof because if you're trying to do business the right way and you're trying to do the handicapping the right way and you're good at it, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be fine. And then when you make your mistakes, that's when it's a discussion, no doubt. Right. And what else are you going to come at us for? Right? You can't really. So when they start it, it's usually coming from envy or coming from some business. They make some calculation that they're going to get all kind of attention because they're coming after RJ. I never give them the attention they want. I give them the attention they don't want. And that's why really it's, I don't see anyone coming at me anymore. They're smartened up. All right. So I'm anxious. I, I feel a little restless for a couple of right crosses, <laughs> but here's the thing, bringing it all back around is the idea that, and I won't even say this fellow's name. It's a well-known fellow just recently entered the industry in the last couple of years. And he was on a podcast and he said something that didn't make mathematical sense. So the person on the, the host said, well, what about this? You know, let's say that it was, and it wasn't this, but this is sort of analogous. Let's say it was a, uh, yeah, I'm thinking of buying from five to five and a half, right? So I like the dog. I'm going to buy it up to five and a half in football. It's like, well, wait a minute. The host would say, you're paying 10 cents and it's not worth 10 cents. And here was the response. The response was, I don't care about the math. I just want to cash tickets. And it dawned on me, I was actually on Radio Row when I heard about this, and it dawned on me, this is the move. This is the play. Let's invalidate expertise. If we can create an environment where there is no right or wrong, gambling's fun, you're probably going to lose anyway. So, oh, RJ, Fazek, Brad, they're telling you to do this Maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. Let's have some fun, you know? And because think about it. If I were going into poker, let's say these guys know about as much about sports betting as I know about poker, meaning I'm in the top, I don't know, 3% of probably better than that, but three, let's call it 3% of all the people in the country but maybe in the top 1%, let's say one, I'm in the top 1% of all poker, uh, not all poker players, but all people in the country, right? Now half maybe play poker, half don't. I think that's ludicrous. I think you're, of all the people that play, people play poker, you're in the top 3% of all the people that play poker. Okay, let's even, uh, fair enough, Fez, I appreciate it. But the fact is, there's so many people above me. There are probably 10,000 plus people I wouldn't want to play poker with, Right. But I know a lot about poker. <laughs> so I know, I mean, maybe use that number, 10,000, right? So that means there's, what is there, 330 million people in the country now? Right. So, you know, I know more than 329 million, blah, 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 with 10,000 left. Okay. But if I went on and started trying to become a poker expert, it would be ludicrous. So what would I have to do? I'd have to do one of two things. I'd either have to say, hey, guys, I'm a fan. And I'm going to kind of represent you, the fan. 
which I think is a wonderful approach. That's what we use with Jonas on Straight Out of Vegas. That's what we use uh, with Cofield we used to on the old Straight Out of Vegas weekend show. Those guys know their sports batting, but they realize that there's a lot of people that know more. So you either can do that, but now it's like, well, wait a minute, then how do you go on the shows and act like you're an expert? How do you get to go on TV and act like you're an expert? Well, you can't now because you're saying you're not an expert or you invalidate expertise. Mm. You say, ah, you know, the math guys with the slide rulers might think they know something, but they don't. I just want to cash tickets, which is kind of smart because it's a visceral. Yeah, me too. Me too. I just want to cash tickets. Well, how do you think you cash tickets? You bet the right way. You might lose. But if you bet the right way, you max your chance to win. And one of the things we say all the time is, hey, here's a list of 20 things maybe that can help you win. 10 of them are easy. 10 of them are tough. You decide how many you want to do. Just know when you don't do them, you know, you got to know the rules to break the rules. And to me, if you're not as a sports betting media organization, helping people understand the right way, then what are you doing for them? Doesn't mean they got to do the right way every time. It can be a choice, right? Same thing with food. If you know broccoli's better, you can eat a Twinkie, but you know. But if someone's going on air saying Twinkies are better for you, now that's dangerous. Because with Twinkies, your health's involved. With betting, your money's involved. Yeah, and we're not sexy. We're not fun. We tell you, don't tease college football games. Hold on one second. Log that time, please. <laughs> that was good, Faz. That was really good. Log it, please. We got two. Go ahead. We tell you, don't buy half points. And we tell you a lot of things not to do in general. Don't try to make needle in the haystack bets. Hey, they're really fun to cash a 50 to one, but it's just so difficult to find value. But there, there's no fun in that. And it's hard to market. But here's the thing. It can be fun because one, any media is having fun with it, right? Otherwise go and there's MIT uh, lectures on anything, right? Our goal, and I'll just be very explicit about it, is have fun telling you the right way to approach it and then let you decide how much of the right way you want to adopt. So, right? It's like a nutrition show. I think that's the great analogy. Make it entertaining. Tell people what to eat. Some I couldn't make that show entertaining, but if you can, great. And then understand that the people listening are going to make a decision how often they're going to do what's right and what's wrong. And maybe that's the way to think about it. We're going to tell you what's right and wrong and let you decide when to be right and when to be wrong. But if you don't know what right is, the only way you can approach it is say there is no right. And to me, that's very dangerous. And to keep it short, in my opinion, Ravel attempts to communicate what's right. And he's often not right. And then other people are trying to say there is no right. And to me, you can enjoy us. You can enjoy other shows. I try to enjoy other shows. I swear I just can't get through them. All right. I don't, again, I would love to have other good shows because I can learn. I'm still learning every day. 
And sometimes I'll gut through these horrible shows to try to learn something. But I am so much more respectful of a boring show that's trying to, in my opinion, boring, trying to tell, teach you what's right. At least then you get to decide is the info worth, you know, the lack of entertainment. That's fine. But at least you're getting the right info. But the things we got to really rally against, and I will now be more aggressive with this, is the people who are telling you the wrong things, because that's dangerous, or the people who are trying to invalidate that there is right and wrong with sports betting. Because since there is such a random element to it, you can be right and lose 10 in a row. And we're not talking right like Fez thinks Toronto's or Fez thinks Milwaukee's better and I think Toronto. No, we're talking about things that are objectively true or false. Objectively like, oh, should you bet half your money on one, your bankroll on one game? No, that's wrong. And if someone tells you it's right, they're doing something dangerous. And if someone says, oh, hey, the bankroll's your business, baby, cash tickets. Well, that's dangerous too. So we're not talking about, oh, Fez won this bet, I won that bet. We got, uh, you know, we didn't win the Super Contest, but we were 65%, so we're great. No, we could have hit 45% in the Super Contest and still done all the right things. It's not about winners and losers in the short term. It's about right and wrong. And to me, what Darren Ravel is attempting to do, and it's smart. There's a reason he's got millions, is if you're not an expert, what do you do? You invalidate expertise. You say it doesn't really matter. Well, if it doesn't really matter, then why does Fezzik have a mansion and a yacht? Maybe that's the last thing to say about it. And to wrap it all the way up in the last 90 seconds, I don't look at this Showtime thing as a problem at all, Brad, because... You can't expect the mainstream to understand any of this. They're here for one thing and one thing only to tell a story. I don't know any really much about Vegas Dave. I know he's got a bad rap or there's money laundering. I allegedly, I think money laundering charge, whatever it is. I don't know. Right. I just know that any engagement I've ever had with his videos or whatever, I don't ever seem to learn anything. So I'm not interested and when it comes to trying to learn between right and wrong, right? When it comes to sports betting, correct or incorrect might even be the better way to say it. Correct or incorrect. There's winning and losing and there's correct and incorrect. Those are two different things. And you can do a lot of incorrect things and win in the short term, right? But the more correct things you do, the more you're going to win. That's the key. So to me, it's going to be an evolution, whereas they're going to say who has the loudest voice, who's got the most interesting story. They're going to lead with that. And then as the months and years go by, it's going to become more mature. To me, if the option is nothing or this, I'd rather have this, the show what Showtime's doing, because the theory is this becomes something bigger or not even bigger, but better Cause I'll tell you this, there's a lot of people with those super boring podcasts that will critique ours. 
And they'll say, well, wait a minute, that minute at hour 47 of week six, Fez said this, and it was wrong by 2%. And then they sit there like all haughty, like, oh, see, they're all glitz and glamour. It's like, well, no, right? Is We're going to talk for hours and hours. We're going to make a mistake now and again. Whenever we do, well, first of all, we usually one of us will catch it live. And if not, we'll talk about it the next week. And and this is my commitment to all those who listen with their own podcast. If he catches with one mistake, let me know. At RJ in Vegas, we will correct it and give you credit for it. Right? But you're not going to hear a lot of that because we don't make a lot of those mistakes. But we try to make it fun. The fact that Showtime is trying to make it dramatic, tell a story, and fun I think is the only thing they can do. That's their job. If somehow they're, they don't have the right people, then maybe it's those right people's fault for not being dramatic enough and enough of a story. And that's the fun thing is if you want to write a book about sports betting and make it like a textbook, go for it, but go down the gamblers book club. There's more than a few of those and they don't sell all that well. So I, you know, to me, I look at what we do almost like putting sugar on a vitamin, right? If, if, if Fezzik's fun, if Brad's fun, if the fun we have, if the sound drops, if all that is the sugar where well, the medicine's in there, right? And to me, that's our model. And I actually believe that's the model that survives because if all you do is try to invalidate correct or incorrect and saying there is no difference that's that can't last. It can't because all your followers are going to go broke so fast their head's going to spin. Might take two or three years, but then what? They're broke, right? It's like the old school boiler room Saturday morning guys, two for the money. Those places, they could make 20, 30, 50K off each sucker and thus they stayed in business. On the internet these days, if you're making a little bit of money from advertising or maybe you got a $19 a month subscription service, you got to have a big audience. And if your audience is going broke because you're invalidating correct and incorrect, there was no distinction, you're not going to make it. So that group's going to go broke. It might take a couple years, but it won't work. Bankruptcy for them. And on the other hand, if you got some textbook, it's 300 pages with a bunch of math in it. There's going to be 2% or 3% of the betters that's going to gobble that up. And it is going to be so valuable if it's a good book. You know, Wong wrote a book that's well-respected. Beyond Counting, Gross Gene. Yeah, well, now that's one that's not sports betting. Every, but, yeah, everything. It yeah. Everything. The, and, and, and I mean, that was actually a limited edition book. There was only like a thousand printed, right? I got two of them, yeah. There we go. <laughs> so I think that that can be valuable. But what about the other 98%? If you can find a way that makes sports betting a recreation for them, which is what they want it to be, but something where the recreational expense is sustainable, meaning maybe if they've got a little extra talent, they make a little something. Or if they have no talent, they lose a little something. But you know that little something they lose in the long run is no more than if they went to the movie once a month with their wives or partners and got a popcorn and a big Coke zero. Because if you do the math 
And we never say, oh, it's easy money. Uh, you know, this is the way to get rich quick. We say it's hard to win. Hard. Right? Tell me one time I've ever, even when we're, we were killing it in the NFL this year, I probably spent at least as much time saying, guys, we are getting fortunate. We got a lot of right picks here, but we're getting lucky too. So even when we're crushing it, we try to temper expectations. Why? Because it's not easy to win. If it were, who in the heck would work at 7-Eleven and who would Fez talk to about his games? And they weren't working at 7-Eleven when he came in. <laughs> right, Fez? Exactly. <laughs> so, so the fact of the matter is that if you bet $100 a game, which is not a small amount, I mean, the average bet at Bodog years ago, I knew someone there. I mean, this is 10, 12 years ago. They said the median bet, not mean, median bet. So half the bets are bigger, half the bets are smaller, was $22. I don't think it's much different today. Across Now, again, Bodog back in the day was a uh, square shop. So maybe it's a little, you know, more at a bigger shop. I think Maddie told me theirs was like 55, hmm. you know, and that's a, you know, was a sharper shot. So somewhere in that range, if you bet a hundred bucks on three games a week, okay, and you literally have a drunk baby flipping coins picking for you, you can't do worse than that in theory. You're going to lose about $15 a week on average. Thirteen fifty. Yeah. Right. Now multiply that times four and in a month it's 60 bucks or so less. How much does it cost to take you and your partner to the movies and get a Coke Zero and a big tub of popcorn. Eh, about 60 bucks. All right. So literally you could say, I'm going to have three games in action a week, betting real money. And a whole month is equal to going out to the movies. No one ever came up to me screaming at the palms. Look at what you're doing. You're blowing $60. Exactly. Not now, even a good movie. Now, here's the thing, though. If somebody says, oh, there is no correct and incorrect. Now it's like, well, shit, maybe I should bet not 100, but bet 1,000. Maybe I should buy points. Maybe I should do some more parlays. And now all of a sudden, you're a negative Theo is minus 15%. And now you get behind a little bit instead of, you know, less than five. You get behind a little bit, so you start chasing. And there's no talk of bankroll management because there is no right and wrong. All of a sudden now, something that should be fun can become something that isn't fun. That's not life-threatening as much as it life-disruptive. Now... Imagine if you're not a drunk baby flipping coins, you listen to shows like ours, but let's just say, I wish, you know, I don't think there is a show like ours. So let's say you listen to the dream preview, you listen to straight out of Vegas. Now the question becomes, can we take that Theo down to break even and not even win and just get rid of that 4.6 or 7% and say, Okay, why? Because I'm betting Fez's best bets and they're free here. And oh, Brad's got something good. And oh, that, I cashed that one future ticket. Now all of a sudden you're having fun. It's not that hard to get your Theo down to a round break even. And oh, by the way, you get lucky once or twice. And lo and behold, you hit a 40 to one ticket because now you're maxing your chance. 
And that 40 to one ticket isn't a 22 to one ticket because one of the basic lessons you learned is there is correct and incorrect and correct is shop hard for futures. And how long did it take you? Oh, 10 minutes. Right. So you decided it was worth it in that one case. And sometimes you might not. Right. And all of a sudden now you get to buy a big TV. People do win. So. It's 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 weird to say it like this. It doesn't sound like the old TV commercials, but our goal is even if you have no talent at this, you can have fun along the way and lose no more than going to one movie a week if you just follow the easy to follow correct things we teach you. And if you have any talent or any discipline, you can do even better than that. Most places are not going to tell you that because they want to sell the dream. To me, what we're trying to avoid now that the industry's moved into a new era is you living the nightmare, which is possible if you do it the wrong way. Okay. What do you think, Brad? I think you said it much better than what I ever could. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, guys, if you disagree with any of that or, you know, maybe it sounded a little sanctimonious, it is literally in our blood here. It really is what we believe. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is I couldn't have done this if I didn't believe that. I'm not judging people if their option is their babies are going to go hungry or they're going to scam someone. We all got to decide what our ethics are. I have had many opportunities in my life to do many different things. I entered this business by choice. And that choice was, I love it. And I also thought we could help people. And the feedback we get from the Dream Preview listeners, it really, really affirms and energizes us. And we know it's working. We're all moving into a new era. And there, I hope there's good competition out there. I want to feel challenged. But there is correct and there is incorrect. And that's the starting point. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for R.J.? You can contact him directly on Twitter at R.J. in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.